G'day guys, quick disclaimer for this episode, this is part one of our Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards or the Ad Mappers. The recording went for three hours, so we have split this up into two parts. This is part one and part two will be released tomorrow, just before the Oscars, the Inferior Awards show to the Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards. And also, if you're around sensitive ears this episode, we dropped the C-bomb quite a bit when talking about Nicholas Colt's role in The Favourite. So if you are around sensitive ears or have sensitive ears yourself, maybe skip that little discussion. I will have time codes in there. I will also have time codes for when Eric completely spoils the end of Burning in this episode. So if you have not seen Lee Chang Dong's Burning, when we start talking about Steven Yun's performance in this episode, maybe skip that part. I will also have time codes for when the Burning spoilers are in the show notes, so please be wary, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. G'day everyone, and welcome to the Another Bloody Movie podcast, or this is actually the first ever Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards. Woo! Whoop. Yep. We've got Whoop. our official uh, ab nappers. The, yes, the ab mappers. They're not nappers. It's AM. Oh. It's another bloody movie. It's not another bloody movie podcast. Oh, Thank I, you very I, much. I thought it was noose. <laughs> the noose podcast. The noose podcast. Yeah, we're actually scouts. Um, it's, The movies have been a front this whole time. We're actually, this is a scouting podcast mm. on like how to tie knots. <laughs> so I don't know what you guys have been listening to for the last, like, I don't know, Two years, but it's, this is what the podcast has been all about. It's what, this is what it's been all been leading to. Films. We've just been tying knots this whole time, but you couldn't see that because there's no recorded, uh, like there's no video footage. component, no video to this. component attached to this podcast, unfortunately. So yeah, so the awards for the uh, another bloody uh, noose podcast awards, uh, we're gonna say uh, best knots. And <laughs> no, we're not. We're, it's another Buddy Movie podcast. Of course it is. It's Sean Coates. It's Eric Tisher. And yes, the Another Buddy Movie podcast awards. The uh, least looked forward to awards show if throughout all of awards season. Well, in my heart, I find it to be more prestigious than the Oscars. Oh, so, so do I. But this is the awards show that literally nobody asked for. Uh, yeah, and probably the one that uh, no idea the amount of people are going to listen to comparison to the Oscars, unfortunately, but it'd be, it'd be lovely if the numbers were inversed. So what are we going to be doing today, Eric? Because well, awards shows are just so tacky and they're just, it just feels like the, the, the selections are so random that it just, it's like anybody could do an awards show. I don't know. Hence I mean, why we're doing one. I mean, the whenever I see the awards show ceremony, it just seems like, it just seems like a bunch of elitists just jerking themselves off. So we're just uh, having a bit of fun here, making our own, uh, award show in our in our strange spirit with the mm. we're going all out like eric and i are both in suits you can't say it but we're both in suits <laughs> we're both here. in suits and we're both tying knots we're tying nooses us. with our ties at we're the moment tying <laughs> nooses with our ties we're just throwing them across the ceiling fan <laughs> oh we have, this is a great way to open this um, so we've made uh, a lot of similar categories to what the Academy Awards might do, but we've also thrown in a couple of fun ones, and we've got a very loose structure and a very uh, arbitrary list, a uh, short list of like nominees and uh, categories. But I honestly don't know how this is going to go or like what direction we're going to take with this, but we're just going to get right we'll, into it. We'll just let it evolve organically. Let's just let it happen. Gross. Let's just let it happen. I mean. 
maybe we're better with the Oscars because we can actually find hosts for this one. So uh, uh, already the ad mappers technically more successful than the Oscars. Well, you don't have to worry about speeches. If we did have speeches, it'd just be us doing Joe Pesci impressions. Yeah, every, it'll, everyone will be go. Ah, oh, it's my privilege. Thank you, and walk <laughs> off. <laughs> yep, that would be that would be every speech if if there were speeches. Everybody should just be like Joe Pesci. I mean, I'm surprised last year when they did that stupid gag with Helen Mirren on the water ski that no one did, that everyone wasn't doing the Joe Pesci five word acceptance. Speech. Someone should have just said one word like thanks to describe their their Oscar and pissed off. And well, just go, like, go up and jet ski. Just go up and be like, ah, cheers, <laughs> and cheers. walk off. Doesn't doesn't even like say anything. <laughs> just like makes a sound like ah, and then walks away. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> Well, you know what? The, the recipients of our award, awards today, for all we know, they could be doing that. They could be doing Because I'm sure they're listening. Oh, well, I hope they're listening and I hope they take our advice and uh, make the Oscars more entertaining in, in an unlike factory sense. All right, so the award we're going to start off with is one that we were probably too lazy to think of uh, nominees for and to like ch- so choose from them. <laughs> but we've made, we're going to start off with Best Original Score. Now, yes... There have been a lot of really great scores, but we've got a, our first ever award has a tied winner yeah. for, the, for the first one because this is I could like I could not separate these two and these these two scores by far and away stand above every other score that I've listened to in a film this year. And Eric, open up the envelope. Who who has it? Well, uh, according hey, to yeah, this, yeah, this yeah, physical yeah, envelope, it says uh, Johnny Greenwood for "You Were Never Really Here" and uh, Joanne Johnson. Uh, Johan jo- Johansson, the late for, great, <laughs> for for Mandy. Sorry, I'm not very good at pronouncing names. But what we're actually doing and why we're doing this is it gives us an excuse to talk about these films again and these particular mm. aspects of the film and the score to Mandy. It's just this incredible like doom metal sound, mm. this soundtrack, and it is great. And didn't you say there's like a like it, the first track is from like King Crimson, oh, yeah, who's the first like a track prog is, rock a, is a, um, a track from King Crimson, like a, what Court of the um, Crimson King, which is like a like a very pinnacle piece of uh, work for prog rock. So it's, yes, it's got it's that nice mix of prog rock and and heavy metal, sort of the music that really aspired the the, the aesthetic for that sort of that eighties. Like fantasy Dungeons and Dragons, the yep. like the, the Tolkien eighties uh, uh, like esque books, and uh, it's really really cool to see that meshed with a psychedelic visual style. So they the, both the music and the visuals complement each other really well. Yeah, but then there's also what my favorite track because I've listened to the Mandy's uh, score quite a bit. Um, my favorite track of the entire thing. It's actually not a lot of the doom metal stuff. It is actually the Ma- the Mandy Love theme. The it, it kind of oh, sounds like yeah. it kind of sounds like metal music being played in slow motion. Yeah, and it's oh, it does yeah, it's, it's interesting because it does sound like a like um some sort of love song, but it's being played with like electric guitar, and it's just um done like the, the amplitude is done much softly, so it's not so aggressive the, the sound of the strings but it's still got that electric tinge to it which is uh which is nice to hear but uh, speaking of um of films that have uh like a rock-esque um score uh Hagazusa also had a like a like a semi-rock score incorporated into it it'd be a nice uh, thing to sort of see uh films to sort of stray a, a bit away from the sort of the the ambient electric or um uh, the orchestral score and sort of decide to delve into something more uh, untapped, like like a 
like heavy metal, um, electric guitar and bass, yeah. and uh, possibly do other instruments like that. So it's always not pleasant to see films sort of experiment in that sort of way. And I, I think Mandy does it very well. Another film that I think kind of does that well in a very different sense oh, is yeah. our, our is our Tide Winner. You were never really here. I mean, this is a strange combination of different like musical arrangements for like yeah. different for like different times the tone and the feeling of the it's film absolutely just changes it's, it's a it's a absolutely lovely amalgamation of different sounds of per- percussion uh with some like some electric like, and and, and uh, so stuff that seems like like am- amp- like acoustic like strings guitar, played on yeah. like amplifiers and stuff like or a bit of acoustics as well it's a, it's a, it's all like really subtly meshed together in the sense where it's sort of hard to sort of identify the the, the sounds especially but it sort of gives this disorientated effect that sort of really paints the um the the state of mind for uh um Joaquin Phoenix's Joe mm. What was your favourite track for the um, from the soundtrack? Because for mine, I- I'm not quite sure if you remember the track names, but no. it's The Hunt. The, the Hunt is my favourite track. That's the one where it's the acoustic guitar and it just keeps building and building. And it's... I used it in my um, I used it in my en- uh, favourite films of the year montage, which you can find that on pinned to my Twitter Twitter page if you want to check that out. I'd yeah, I think the track's really good. Is is that the track they play? It's near when the they yeah, near, near the, the end, end when like he first sees um Votto yeah and like he yeah and cha- and starts like chasing him down it's mm. oh, perfect no, I mean, uh, like all the tracks I thought and it's strange because a lot of people don't seem to be talking that much about the music and you never really hear it's so Johnny Greenwood good. always does great work like some people seem to be talking more about yeah, York's, York's score, with Suspiria which, uh, yeah. I think we've mentioned before that. We um we, we think it's it's like it's interesting. We think some tracks work really well and some don't. I think it works really. It, I think it's great in isolation. I don't. Th- it's yeah. funnily enough, I don't think it actually works that well with the film. Yeah, that's 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 strange because uh, I would agree with you in the sense that the that the music does sound nice, but it doesn't like some of the tracks don't seem to complement the scenes that they're attached to, and it kind of has this off-putting effects where it's sort of making like a strange like juxtaposition of. Uh, Unfitting music and unfitting uh, footage, while like it's the complete opposite with um, with the uh, you will never really hear with the music, uh, just like in Ma- Mandy's. So sort of the the music and the um the visuals are just like imbued together, and they they, they just they so brilliantly um, complement each, each other that you yeah, can't sort of so imagine well. one without the other. Yeah, I think yeah, but with Mandy as well, like that that score, listening to that just like on Spotify, it's just. It's mm. very transcendent, even just listening to it. Yeah. All right. What is the next award that we will present? We will go to a commercial break. No, we won't. <laughs> we, 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 we don't, we uh, don't have, we don't have any to sponsors advertise. to advertise anything. Well, uh, we could uh, advertise um, our... W- 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 just uh, something that we're going to do on the side as well as recording podcasts. We, we could uh, advertise lessons and how to tie knots. <laughs> we're, we're willing to do that for anyone that is interested. It is another bloody noosey podcast. Oh, after another the bloody noosey <laughs> podcast. If, if you want to know how to tie some knots, you know, we're, we're glad Eric's to gonna, help you er, Eric's going to start another bloody noosey podcast. He's going to get um, scout masters on each week <laughs> and t- to show people how to tie knots. It's, it's going to be a YouTube channel, actually. It's going to be a YouTube channel. And the, the award ceremony, instead of giving just physical like uh, like uh, trophies... 
of sorts, we'd just be giving out like little pins that we're gonna <laughs> like attach to some celebrity, some actor. Like, oh, he, <laughs> you, you, you won best actor, actress. Uh, have this uh, pin, just <laughs> just put it on their suit or dress or whatever. Yeah, and they immediately throw it in the garbage. They just like <laughs> throw it in a, in a bin. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't be insulted. No, they they should consider it an honor because it's not about the 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 appearance of the prize. It's about the prestige behind it. Thanks for stalling and, you know, that, the brilliant <laughs> idea of another bloody Noosey podcast. You know, out, uh, the se- I've just booted out my seat filler while I've been uh, looking for the next category to do. To do. Um, sure out- you're not supposed to tell the audience that. Well, we have seat fillers. <laughs> that, 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 that we're uh, not organised. <laughs> oh, well, next co- category we're going to do is Best Animated Feature. Now, we've only got four nominees here, and I have not seen one of these because if one of them is Eric's favourite film well, of the year. I haven't seen one of them as well. Okay, so our nominees for Best Animated Feature are Isle of Dogs, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, The Wolf House, and Night is Short, Walk on Girl, which is a film that I only just saw yesterday, and I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I don't know if anyone's heard of this film. It is uh, from Masaka Yuasa, a Japanese like animation director who's done stuff like Lou Over the Wall, the Netflix series Devilman Crybaby, Mind Game. Uh, what was the film you were t- the one that you were talking about earlier? Oh, um, did I mention another film? I think I'd, it's, he's made a lot of series. Yeah. I think uh, in terms of films, we've, we've, we've named them all, but he's he's, he's done Ping, like Pong the Animation. He, he did a show called Kyber as well, uh, Tatsumi Galaxy. Which, Tatsumi um, Galaxy, that's the uh, one, yeah. Night, Night is Short Walk on Girl is a companion piece to Tatsumi Galaxy. Mm. This film is basically a young university student who has th- uh, an incredible drink to- drinking tolerance. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm surprised that she did not even like fall over or throw up once I'm this sorry, entire I'm film. Surprised she didn't die, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she pretty much just goes on this crazy pub crawl throughout mm. Kyoto, and it is the most fun I've had in a cinema in months. Like, this film is so like vibrant, just so mm. fun. I mean, it is a little bit questionable in what it's saying. Like, it, it, it you, one could argue that maybe it's promoting like this excessive drinking. I don't see oh, it that I don't way. Think so also, it's very th- tongue in cheek. It I is ex- incredibly tongue in cheek, but you got to remember, people are idiots and they're going to read <laughs> stuff the wrong way. But also, it's a little bit creepy because there's the senpai that's fo- like that's like in love with her, mm. and. He has this idea, I think it's called Operation AHO, which is appear before her often, which is a, an <laughs> idea that like he like like tries to track her down so many times and pretended it's a, co- a coincidence yeah. to make her think that it's fate and that they're meant to be together, <laughs> which is incredibly creepy. Yeah. I mean, he does have that 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 strange sort of uh it's sort of like anime logic stuff you'd see yeah. just in in, in 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 Japanese animation but where it, like characters would go and do these really bizarre plans, but it's, it, it, I'd say it's sort of executed in a way where it's like it's 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 very aware of how ridiculous the plan is, and just mm. uh, it's sort of like a an exaggeration of how like awkward the character. It is, is very tongue in cheek, and the character is depicted to be a loser. Yeah, as well. pretty much. So. Like poor poor uni student that's. Uh, got very limited friends and and uh, just seems to be a hermit as well mm, it's it's a, it's a crazy film and i absolutely loved it uh, it's it's got um 
it's great because uh, Yuasa always has a, a nice sense of style with his animation, mm. and you could you could really see that in like the dream uh, sequence towards the end is one of the most manic, like insane <laughs> things I've seen in a movie in quite some time. Well, you got to watch Mind and it's Game. Awesome. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, I, there's something that's connected to Tatami Galaxy. I think it's a it's a good com- complementary piece in it, and. Uh, the thing that it really seems to carry on is like similar um, themes of struggling youth, um, as well as like uh, the pursuit of love. Uh, but it, but it maintains uh, the the animation style, but some seems to sort of like elevate it with the short runtime that it has. Yeah, it's only ninety three minutes, and, and it actually feels longer than that too, which in this case is a good thing. Well, especially when it's uh, supposed to be the the. Um, time range over a single yeah. night where it seems like so and much time has passed like yeah like, it makes sense and it, the, the film even like makes a reference to this in the sense where, yeah because uh, it looks to the older guys and their yeah. clocks are like like ticking yeah, over like ticking in over an really insane fast. rate and hers is going so slow like she would meet characters at the beginning of the film and then she'd meet them at the end of the film they'd be like oh so much time has passed it's like years have gone by and then yep. and then the protagonist should say oh well we, we only met two hours ago <laughs> So what I'm saying is that would be my vote, but we ha- actually have no envelope for this one. I mean, we didn't have an envelope anyway. Like no, seeing we... seeing through the curtain of the another bloody movie podcast uh, awards. Well, actually, because we Eric and I have not actually <laughs> thought of a winner yet, so we're going to do that right on air right now. Well, we might maybe we have to leave this up to chance, and uh, we'll have to do a game of paper scissors rock decide who's the winner. <laughs> uh, just quickly touching on Isle of Dogs and Into the Spider Verse, I really enjoyed both of those films, but. Uh, especially Spider-Verse, like, the animation in that film is crazy. Like, mm. that, again, that's very, like, a very comic book-inspired, but also very anime-inspired as mm. well. And, like, it, the, the way that it plays around with, like, different styles and different frame rates and, like, different even animation textures is just absolutely incredible. The, where it kind of falters a little bit is the story. In the third act, it does, like, fall heavily back into, like, superhero film oh, cliches. So and you got to stop the big fucking radiating beam that not in the sky this time but like in this lab that's going to send them all back to their universe or whatever and that's just kind of checking out then but spider-verse is really good really enjoyed isle of dogs i have not seen it in quite a while though so i can't really comment much on that it's the same here for me um Isle of Dogs is nice. I don't like it as much as uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, I, I think Fantastic uh, Mr. Fox. I think the, the the attention to detail is is amazing. Um, is amazing in that film. Um, so that's so on, on a technical level, it's very impressive. Well, I guess the scene where they're making the sushi. How? <laughs> How did they do that? Well, it's. Uh, I think it's always a matter of scale. Where that sushi bit, they would have actually had to have a like a big set oh yeah and i had a big puppets. really big one yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's always uh, interesting to see what they're doing behind the scenes with the uh, stop motion some really impressive stuff mm. but speaking of stop motion mm. uh what would be my pick for a uh, best animated feature of uh, last year would have been uh, the wolf house which is something i saw late last year which is a very i think i've mentioned it before it's very interesting sort of multi um sort of uh styled uh anim- animated film from uh chile was chile I think it was yeah yeah from chile uh which is a story about uh this uh woman who escapes from a um a colony uh or like a like a what's it what's the word like a commune uh a chilean commune decides to live on her own and she's uh, getting harassed by uh, a wolf that lives in the forest uh not far by and she's sort of uh like 
becomes housebound and raises two pigs who end up uh, morphologically changing into children. And it's sort of this strange it's very story fantastical, of, is it's it? It's this very strange, fantastical, abstract story of, of, of motherhood and uh, and sort of like f- like fear of, uh, of, of the herd and, and individuality mm. and that sort of struggle between the, the two extremes. Although the, 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 the style is quite incredible in the sense that we have uh, lots of different variety of stop motion animation to painting things on the wall to to just uh, your your animated moving like models around like all sorts of uh, like like stuff like this and all, all stop motion to having this happen simultaneously in the one scene it's like edited in such a way where it doesn't seem to be any cuts like the camera will just move on to the to the, the next room where a scene will take place a, it's a very, very impressive film that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I'm really annoyed because I saw that on movie and like it was on my watch list on movie mm. and then completely forgot about it and then it expired and it was gone. So well, I, I hope really, it comes around. Again yeah, I really want to. I really want to check this out now, especially if it, if it gets that much high praise from Eric. That's <laughs> that means it's got to be good. I mean, or I'm going to be really annoyed at him. Oh well, you you really enjoyed. The, the Red Turtle. Oh, The Red Turtle is amazing. And I gave that re- real high praise when I saw that. I think uh, if, w- if we talked about it on a podcast, I probably said it was my favourite film of that year. Yeah. Since I saw it, because I saw it after I did my 2016 list, I updated my 2016 list, I think, like about six months ago, and I put The Red Turtle at, like, number six. Mm. I absolutely loved the, loved the hell out of The Red Turtle. But we need a winner. And only thing is, I have not seen The Wolf House, and it sounds like it's amazing. And well, we both we really can, like Night is Short, Walking on Girl. Night is, is Short, Walk on Girl. We could always, uh, you could always do a, a revisionary episode. Where <laughs> we could choose a, different a mistakes movie. episode. Yeah. Re- mistakes. <laughs> Rewriting <laughs> the mistakes. We awarded the wrong. We awarded the wrong film. No, it turns out uh, it was Moonlight. Moonlight. You won. You won best animated feature. <laughs> Moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see that happen like this year, like like the person that's announcing the film's like looks at the end, like, what, what the fuck Moonlight that that <laughs> film was uh, nominated last year. What's it doing in here? <laughs> see, I knew we needed a host. <laughs> <laughs> all right, congratulations, Masaka Yuasa, and all of the animators I guess that worked on Night is Short, Walk on Girl. Mm. You are the winner of the inaugural Ad Mapper for Best Animated Feature. Good on you. Keep up the good work. That's all I can say. Yes, I'm just getting. I I just um, heard an arigato all the way from Japan from Masaka Yuasa. <laughs> so uh, you're I welcome. Guess he's very pleased. I mean, at least we gave him a award. Uh, did he actually get a nomination for the Oscars? No, he did not, because they usually nominate one uh, like foreign animated film, and oh. they they animated animated they nominated Mirai this year, oh, which okay. I wanted to see and did not get well, around to seeing. I heard it was really good. Mm. Because I M- Mamoru Hosoda is a really interesting anime filmmaker. Yeah, I just yeah, just missed it. Missed it at MIF. Missed it in its very short theatrical run. I mean, I unfortunately haven't seen it either. So we're both in the same boat there. Okay, what other one? Well, I reckon we should get into one of the non-Oscar categories, one that we just like to make up. Mm, one of our unique, one of our one one piece. of the ABMP Ad Mapper exclusive awards. And this is the Came Out of Nowhere Award. Mm. Eric, would you like to explain what the Came Out of Nowhere Award is? Well, the Came Out of Nowhere is sort of a film that... It's a very broad uh, category where it's a film that we that either caught us off guard because it surprised how impressive it was. 
Um, it could be a film that didn't get much talk, or it could be a film that um, got a lot of hate, or we went in expecting it to be terrible, but we were pleasantly surprised to find that it was quite good. Uh, anything that's uh, like something that falls under those sort of like um, tenants, I guess. Mm. Now, for this, because we have chosen two completely different films that like one of us has seen and the other hasn't for both of our picks, uh, we're going to give two... I guess if we're gonna, this is going to be a yearly thing. Mm. We're going to give an award to a film each. So, Eric's Came Out of Nowhere Award goes to... Um, opening Agazusa. Up the <laughs> okay, he's, he, I, I, he didn't even let me open up the goddamn envelope. Come on. Oh, well, I just, I, I mean, I crudely scribbled it in there. I mean, I just put it in. <laughs> he, he put it on the envelope. I in, I inside, it says the Came Out of Nowhere Award. <laughs> and on the envelope, it says Hagazusa, a heathen's curse. Oh, I was in that much of a rush that I couldn't even prepare the envelope properly. But yes, uh, Hag- Hagazusa would be my pick. Which you have talked about on our, one of our myth episodes, but just to give a brief summary, this is a German uh, like it's, uh, it's like horror a, film. It's a, it's a German um, horror film that's uh, set during the Middle Ages about um, these uh, these women who live out in this isolated location, um, out somewhere in the hills, the valley side that's far from any village, and they they seem to get harassed by. Um, the nearby village members seem to sort of look upon them with uh, disdain, assuming that they're witches, possibly. And uh, so what happens is, like, the the first um, act, it's uh, the, the, the uh, protagonist is a little girl, and uh, her mother ends up dying, and she ends up sort of looking after herself, raising herself. And uh, the film sort of regresses sort of with... Uh, sort of her development, her just living at this uh, this house by herself. She, occasionally, she'll go into the village, get frowned upon, um, and uh, she'll uh, converse with a priest and such. And uh, until eventually something terrible happens, she she gets raped by a villager, and she poisons their water and Fuck. yeah, and ends up sort of I turns guess, into like a revenge story well, towards n- the end. Not ex- this it? is only for like one instance, but she sort of brings upon like the black plague. <laughs> or, like yeah, so so th- in the next scene, um, um, oh, I can't remember exactly the chronology. I haven't seen it in a while, but she ends up having a child, and she's sort of raising a child while there's all this chaos is happening around the field. So while she's going about her daily life unaffected by the plague, you just seeing these uh these like these these the uh, grave uh, keepers or whatever just like burning corpses or throwing lime <laughs> on them. So what was it's it what what was it about the film that surprised you most that like really caught you off guard and really made well, you enjoy it? Uh, I like a I like a film that has a a, a a strong sort of focus and just uh on on a visual aspect uh showing things through um just like behavior and a just uh, like facial expression, just sort of the working with the composition in the in the frame instead of uh, relying too much on exposing information through dialogue. So this is a film that had very limited dialogue, and it was very um, uh, what's the word? Like fo- focused a lot on a on a sort of like um, subjective level for the the protagonist. So like things would start off a lot more objective. This is what this this film sort of creates this interesting dichotomy of a. What's like being uh, conjured up in the mind of the character, or what's uh, what uh, what what might actually be supernatural? Because there's an instance where she she consumes some mushrooms, and so sort of the film for a bit goes quite strange. Some strange things happen. You get some strange visuals, 
Like when you when you're presented with something like that, it sort of undermines the idea that you know she's a witch and that she's causing uh, trouble as such. It's just, uh, it has it just holds a very great sense of ambiguity that allows her some good interpretability. Like my uh, uh, friend, who oh, I saw it with Cohen. He he believes that the film was supernatural, and I and I believe that it was all psychological. It was all in the mind. I like films like that where it's a bit ambiguous as yeah. to whether it is like. Unlike a film we'll probably get to later when we get to the Sacred Deer Award. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my my pick for my for Sean's came out of nowhere award is a thing a, a movie I think I've talked about on the pro- program before. Like this was a film that like I thought was like going to be like this will be a fun little documentary, but like it completely caught me off guard and just managed to only just missed my top 10 of the year and that is uh jessica lesky's documentary i used to be normal a boy band fangirl story like i don't give a flying fuck about boy bands okay Mm. like i could not care less (laughs) this documentary is just so wholesome and just so like Mm. kind of life affirming just to see how uh, and especially for someone that does not like boy bands to see a film that shows the good that the, that these bands mm. and like the positive influence that they've had in these women's lives and like how their music and just their presence in general has like made their lives so much better and helped them through really tough times and also just in the age of toxic fandom to see like fans of something be like have this just genuine connection to it and just this genuine unabashed love for it is just so great to see and so it's like like positive fandom in the sense that they don't seem to be they, the fandom isn't sort of like the, this weird militaristic yeah like they have this weird obligation to just there's no like the, hierarchy in, within the fan culture there's, there's, no, like, there's just weird, all this like, I have to defend this piece of work because it's like the most important thing ever type of nonsense no like, like it would be very I mean, important to them but they're probably not going to attack someone I mean liking all fandoms kind of have that and there is to a little bit but not to the extent like that like you see mm. with like Marvel at VDC or yeah. any of these kind of stuff like one of the uh, subjects of the documentary who is uh a huge fan of um, uh, fuck, which one was it? Uh, the Backstreet Boys. Mm. She's she um tells this story of like uh calling into like VH1 when they would do like a music video like like chart chart battles. Mm. So they would have like they would play music videos from the Backstreet Boys and then music videos from Instinct. In Instinct. Mm. She she would probably call them that because she hated Instinct. But yeah, Instinct. <laughs> and 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 it would be like calling in to like vote for who would always win and like getting other like from like Backstreet Boys forums online and like chat rooms to all get in and vote for the Backstreet Boys <laughs> so that they would always be in sync. So there's mm. a little bit of that, but not to the extent... Oh, and well, sort of showing a positive competition in the sense that that's a group coordinating so they can, you know, win in this competition. It's not something where it's like this fandom's going to fight with this other fandom type of thing. Like, you know, yeah. Marvel and DC, they'll probably have that. They'll probably have mm. a group of people attacking a forum. They're not attacking anyone. They're just trying to support this one fan win this competition, which is completely fine. This is a completely small part of the it's movie, a, and we're, we're, we're overanalyzing this completely, but it's just showing the actual positive impact that this has and, like, the genuine, like, sense of community and, like, not really, like, solace or, like, joy that they've found within these boy bands. And for someone that has really not cared and has actually disliked boy bands quite a lot, like, I found this just so... Mm. It was so good. 
And I would recommend this to anybody, even if you absolutely despise boy bands. Like, this this will melt the hardest of hearts, this film. I think uh, what you're trying to say is not so much about the subject of the boy band itself. It's more so the, the, the fandom or the, what this, how the subjects interact with the material and how the material sort of... Uh, sort of shapes who they are and how it how it just uh, it helped them through tough times just 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 how no matter how, the quality of the material objective subjective or whatever just how the material just helps these people and uh, i think you've mentioned before like some of the the uh the fans even said like oh they, they probably wouldn't regard like whichever boy band they listen to to be like the best music of all time like they might say like oh technically maybe this music's better but the, but to them on a they don't care level, <laughs> they don't care about that stuff and it's just it's more about how it affects them on, on that, yeah. that really intimate uh, level it's a it's a beautiful document so it's, like, it, it's such yeah. a good documentary i absolutely check this out i think it's coming out on dvd uh very soon madman had distribution for this and i just want to give a big thank you to previous guest adele drover for convincing me to see this at the sydney film festival Mm. i absolutely loved it like she's told me to see this because she backed the film on kickstarter and a friend of hers made the film and i'm so happy i'm so happy that i got to see this film i saw it again when it played at miff and just absolutely loved it the second time around i wanted to see it a third time in its theatrical run but i will be buying the dvd so congratulations to jessica lesky you have won the uh, came out of nowhere award ad mapper mm. ad mapper for your film i used to be normal a boy band fangirl story congratulations you thoroughly deserve it yep uh, i think that's a very good debut for um that was her first film yes it was yep yeah so i hope that um she gets enough funding to do more work be good to see what she can uh, do in the future Absolutely. What should we do next? What other cat? Should we do another one of our fun categories, or should we go back to one of our Maybe checklist we do Oscar a generic category? category? The checklist category. I guess. All right. Let's go. We can alternate between an original and a uh, generic category. All right. Let's let's do the. Um, how about we do the uh, supporting performances? Why oh. don't we do them? Then actually, actually no. Well, here's what, yeah. Supporting performances. So let's start off with. Supporting actress. Now we don't have an envelope for this one either because we haven't. Re- Eric and I haven't discussed this. Well, yeah, we're still debating yeah. uh, who may be the winner. Okay, but we should actually read this out like the Oscars. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to read them out, and you're going to do you're going to do the Oscar clips for all these actresses, right? Oscar. So clips. You're, you're going to do the Oscar clips. Do I have to? You have to impersonate them. Impersonate them. <laughs> oh well, I'd rather the other way. Let's see how good you are on the plot. Let's see oh. how good. Let's see how good. I Eric don't is even want improv. to attempt. Like I can't. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they would say just coming up on stage. Eric, I'm joking. Not not coming on stage, like the clips they show from the film. Well, like the trailers. No, yeah, the clips they show from the film showcasing their best acting. That's what I mean. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> How's your improv? Anyway, we're not going to do that. Uh, I don't want you to, to put me in the spot like that. Just have an anxiety attack. No, just kidding. Okay. So our best performing performing act, best supporting actress uh, nominees uh, for the Ab Mapper is or are Sarah Adler for Foxtrot. You got to say it. You got to announce them like they're in the, the Academy Awards as well. So oh, Sarah course. Adler. I mean, there's a high level of prestige with this. Yeah. Sakura Ando for Shoplifters. Emma Stone for The Favorite. Rachel Weisz also for The Favorite. Rachel McAdams for Disobedience. Tilda Swinton for Suspiria, and Patricia Clarkson for The Party. Hmm. 
what do you think of these nominations? Well, I uh, think it's a it's a very strong lineup. I think yeah, this is probably um, the toughest of all of the categories we have to pick an actual winner uh, from. Unfortunately, I haven't seen uh, some of the films. I haven't seen The Party. Well, or I, Disobedience. I put Patricia Clarkson in there because she is like the best. I, I really like The Party, which is a uh, very it's very very much feels like a play. It's a Sally Potter movie who has uh, so she has a background in theater as well. Mm. And it's seven people get around for a part like have a come around for a part like a celebratory dinner. And turns out that uh, someone breaks some very personal news, and it's like everyone dealing with the repercussions of that, and it like kind of just turns into like a crazy dinner party. I think some people have like uh, I think compared it to um, the Hellspawn, Roman Polanski's film Carnage. Oh, <laughs> like similar to that, which I think mm. that was also adapted from a play. I think I don't think I this was. I wouldn't be surprised but if Conjure is adapted from the play because it's just four people arguing. Pretty yeah, well, much. there's seven people, and it also stars the late great Bruno Gans, mm. R.I.P. And but Patricia Clarkson is in that. Her just belittling him the whole movie, and just like being, I don't know why there's this American lady in 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 Britain because it's an English film as well. Yeah, but it, oh, it could, it, be, she, could have migrated there, sure. I mean, Patricia Clarkson is just great at playing like these very stern, strong, but very catty characters, and yeah, she's awesome in the party. Um, both both Emma Stone and Rachel Vice for the favorite. Like they're both oh, they're great. All, all, all all three, I'd say, like leads uh, in, yeah. in their own right, because they seem to have as, as much um, screen time, but it, as well as sort of deliver such a like domineering um, performance. Because whenever the the story would uh, follow them for a bit, they just center stage. So um, yeah, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, and um, uh, Olivia Coleman are all great. Um, although. I, I'd probably like. I kind of like Vice better in in uh, than um, uh, God, I'm forgetting their name. Stone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're right there <laughs> on the envelope. No, not no. These ones aren't this on the envelope. Electric envelope. Yeah, an email. <laughs> we we we, we got to wait for the we're ding we're actually, for when they get. <laughs> we, we invested all our money. Spent our whole budget in buying uh, iPads to put. <laughs> We actually we actually get the um en- the uh, emails like w- we get the envelopes from email from an unknown uh, uh an unknown address, <laughs> so w- we don't even we're not even in control of we, the. We, we're just gonna claim this awards show is going to turn into Bandersnatch really quickly. <laughs> Someone else is controlling our lives and controlling these awards. Poss- possibly. Like cut up my dad. What are you talking about? Don't don't make me do that. I haven't seen Bandersnatch. What is Netflix? What is this uh, Netflix? <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I thought we were just uh, trying to give away these iPads uh, that we have that we're putting all these invitations. On it's these the ad mappers, not Oprah. Come on. Hey, uh, we can pretend that we're getting uh, funding from Apple. <laughs> we can dream. Sure. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm just trying. This is this is probably the worst category to pick at this point. Um, yeah, as I said, Ro- Vice and Stone. I I don't know who's. B- I think Vice is. I like Vice better just because she yeah. she's she's uh, she was in um, Lobster. She seems to sort of do the Liam Themis, um acting a lot better than Stone. Stone's um, I don't know, strange. I do like think in it's comparison, the best she's to, ever been though. Oh, it's Stone. the best that she's ever been. But in comparison to Vice and Coleman, she seems she seems to act in a more stereo dramatic sense instead of the more mm. absurd that uh, Liam Themis is known for. Um, yeah. Although, like. Uh, the favorite's a lot more uh, crowd pleasery. Um, mm. It's not as like 
and strange as uh, his Vi- other films. Vice is much more like of the Lanthimos mo- mold of the more deadpan, very yeah, yeah that kind. That's of why. I, that's why. Yeah. I, that's why I like it. Mm. Um, a, a movie that also starred uh, Rachel Vice, but had two better performances in it was Disobedience, and we've got Rachel McAdams in this category. Who mm. Rachel McAdams like she's finally starting to get the recognition she deserves now. Like she's come a long way since Mean Girls. She really has. Yeah, I, and I remember you were quite a fan of Rachel McAdams for a while. I've seen a couple mm. of films she was I mean, in that didn't get much uh, I, traction. I really didn't like Game Night, but she makes that movie watchable. Like, I'm one of the few people <laughs> that didn't like Game Night at all, but oh. Rachel McAdams is just so... Like, she's always a great, just vibrant screen presence. And it's interesting seeing her take a more dramatic role in Disobedience and also using an English accent, which is actually pretty good. Like, I thought it's... it's it, you could, it, it's, it, it breaks a, a couple shaking. of times. It's a little shaky a couple of times, but it's pretty consistent throughout. And mm-hmm. she's really the heart and soul of this movie. And my problem with Disobedience is that it should be following her character instead of Rachel Vice, but it doesn't. Like, her story is so much more interesting that it doesn't follow it. Uh. But yeah, Rachel McAdams is so... It, I almost said Rachel Vice. It, it's, <laughs> it's hard when you've got the two, two yeah. beautiful Hollywood Rachels in the same movie. And yeah, the interracial love, as I saw one letterboxed review called disobedience. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got a few others in here. Uh, Tilda Swinton for Suspiria. Uh, she's basically nominated for all three of her That's roles in this. That's probably my favourite, to yeah. be honest. Just because just of the variety. She's just, in Suspiria, she just, uh, and I said, we said it in the um, episode we did on Suspiria, as uh, the. Not as the as the old German man and as the old fucking uh, troll, the Guillermo del, del Toro looking troll. Dan, Dan Aykroyd. They've got yeah, Dan Aykroyd in Nothing, Nothing but, but Trouble. She as the I think what's the name of the dance team? Madame Blanc. That's yeah. right. That's her name. But as Madame Blanc, she comes around as this nice kind of sensitive like person, but also that could just turn on a dime at any second and is just so fucking menacing as well. Mm. I guess I guess she's sort of like this, uh, she, this sort of uh, mysterious, because uh, you you see you have a lot of sh- shots of her looking through like glass panes. Uh, they're supposed to be like mirrors uh, as such, like the false mirrors. So she she, she would uh, she have this sinister sort of like ulterior motive uh, that she'd be playing by. I mean, this is, she even behaves like this with the other uh, witches in the coven. So she's always like she behaves in a sense where she seems to be helping someone out else out, but she's actually trying to puppeteer them. Like she tries to puppeteer Kato, uh, Dakota Johnson. So it's 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 great seeing her play uh, Madame Blanc, um, in this in this subtle sinister way. But uh, the 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 other performances are also quite great as well. Um, her doing um, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd from Nothing But Trouble <laughs> only for a bit is 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 uh, quite nice in itself. Yeah. That uh, the, even the Hellboy tell villain that it was her, the Hellboy villain. But uh, I really like her performance as the old man because oh, I didn't we, even realise that was her. Are we sure that Mother Marcos wasn't Doug Jones and not um, <laughs> not Tilda Swinton? Maybe Tilda Swinton was uh, uh, doing the voice and uh, Doug Jones was just <laughs> doing the the movement. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I don't know. It's what a crazy performance that was. Uh, her playing yeah. the old man. I didn't actually notice that. We saw that in the credits, like. What? And then we like Googled this and we're like, holy mm. shit, she well, played that old Well, we, we don't have a Best Makeup and Hairstyling Award, but uh, Suspiria would definitely, oh, win, definitely that. win that. And how that didn't get nominated for an Oscar is that's beyond me. That's insane. And like, fucking, who cares? Uh, fucking fat, fat Christian Bale gets fat it. Christian Bale. I mean, that's real fat too, so why is that? 
I mean, he's never uh, coming back from being a fat guy, is he, Christian Bale? Maybe not. I like to see him play Batman as a fat guy. He's just going to constantly be eating pies. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he got fat for Dick Taney. Just ate a lot of pies. That's, that's opposite to what, just eating an apple a day. <laughs> yeah, the, his machine is two apples a day diet. Yeah, that man is insane. Mm. But getting back to Best Supporting Actress, the other two nominees we've got here is uh, Sakura Ando in Shoplifters, who just blew me away in Shoplifters. Like, the she's able to, con- again, able to convey a lot with just a look. And there's a scene in Shoplifters where, where she's in a bath with this young girl, and mm. it's just... I don't think I don't even think there's a single word of dialogue, but just just the act, just her fi- her f- her, ba- the beha- her behavior, like her just her presence on screen, and towards the end of the film, which I'm not going to say what exact scene it is I because it kind of spoils the film because because the because the annoying thing is the trailer for Shoplifters, the American trailer, actually kind of spoils the film. So I would say don't watch the American trailer for Shoplifters. <laughs> but Sakura Ando has this monologue towards the end of the film with, about family which is just not a dry eye in the whole house like it's incredible Mm. and another performance that will just make you heartbroken is Sarah Adler in Foxtrot especially in that third act of Foxtrot where she just commands the screen yeah I mean uh, uh, just her and even the man who played the father just brilliant performances by them from the beginning right to the end uh, Foxtrot was a uh, was very impressive. Even the even the sun, a lot of the acting over the board, a lot of the uh, elements of Foxtrot were quite strong. This will not be the last of you'll be hearing of Foxtrot in this episode. <laughs> well, if there's, if there's only going to be one film that this man is going to talk about more than Foxtrot, it'd be Roma. <laughs> so I'll just give you that warning right now. <laughs> All right, but now the hard part to think of a winner. Who who do you like out of this list? Oh, I said it before, Swinton. I'm fixing. You Swinton. like Swinton? Yeah. <sighs> You know what? Let's open up the envelope. All right, let's and see the winner is Swinton. Tilda Swinton for Suspiria. <laughs> oh, great work, Swinton! We because she did three Congrats, roles. Tilda. Technically, we gave her um three. Uh, we're trophies. giving her three ad mappers. We're giving her three ad mappers. What, what's what's going to be on the trophy for the ad mappers that we're totally going to send to Tilda Swinton that we're not going to <laughs> tie knots? <laughs> just different a piece of rope. Just, just each, each, uh, each. Uh, it's like getting a bottle cap uh, off a like a beer bottle cap that would give you like a joke or like coordinates to a place. <laughs> Instead, like each award would have like a different knot that you can tie. Like, oh, here's a navel esque <laughs> knot. Here's a knot for tying like. Uh, we for, send for them for a tent pitch or something. We send them a thirty centimeter long piece of rope that has <laughs> another bloody movie podcast printed on it. Well, I guess I guess uh, Sweden would have like three. So she, I don't know what she's gonna do with that. Um, maybe she could combine them to make almost a meter long rope. Yeah, we're not gonna make trophies. Sorry, as much as I'd love to, and as much as I'd know that uh, their publicist or their agent would throw out the award straight in the garbage as soon as they, well, re- even if even if it got to uh, them. Unfortunately, I don't know how to make rope by hand. Uh, next, we've got best supporting actor. The nominees are Simon Russell Beale in The Death of Stalin. Stephen Yun for Burning, Jonathan Price for The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Jonah Hill in Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot, Alessandro Nivola for Disobedience, Gibson John for Sweet Country, and Nicholas Holt for The Favourite. What are your thoughts on this? these nominees? Because well, I picked these. I don't yeah, think Eric had any well, hand in this. Luckily, I've seen two of them. The two that I have seen from I do like. Oh, no, actually, sorry, three. Oh, I've seen four. 
Although I'm not too huge on uh, Beale on uh, the death of Stalin. I wasn't the biggest fan of that film. But Stephen Yeun was, was great. Stephen Yeun is... I think he'd probably be my favorite, to be honest. I think he'd but probably I like. I really like Jonathan Price and the man who killed Don Quixote as well, mm. as well as um, uh, Nicholas Holt. I was surprised to see yeah. how. I um, mean, any any time you have to say the word cunt struck in your film, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the thing I liked about him was that like, he was like he was he was like weirdly cartoonish with the way that he conducted it himself, but he mm. he, he seemed like. His character seemed completely unaware of it. Yeah. So he was like this weird, like, caricature, sort of satire of, of, of that kind of, like, like what was he, like, white-wig politician of, yeah. of the, of the time. Yeah, it was the opposition leader, I yeah, think. Yeah, he was the opposition leader. He, he becomes leader. the prime minister at the he end. He does yeah. become the prime minister, but it's just, it's, it's funny how the favourite sort of, like, depicts that, uh, that uh, political discourse... Um, from that yeah. Victorian era, just how ri- a bunch of ridiculous their dem- their democratic system was. Yeah, a bunch you of know, a, a bunch of pale white dudes barking at each other. Yeah, well, just a bunch of like silly fools just prancing about. Um, yeah, it's 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 quite funny to see. It's, it's something that you'd see like in a um, I think I mentioned before, like a Jonathan Swift novel. Yeah, it, it never feels. I mean, it is a little bit broad and cartoonish, but it never feels over the top. I don't think. I think it's like perfectly. Well, I think it's good because uh, it's a, it adds a good juxtaposition to the to, to the deadpan. That the, yeah, this is like this is like a cartoon. It's not aware that it's a cartoon. <laughs> it's like it's like he just he just sticks out as a sore thumb like that much, but he's got like such indignation that he like deserves to be there uh, alongside mm. all the other characters. Like, I, d- I just don't think any of the political stuff would just be as funny without Nicholas Holt just, just uh, trying to g- go toe-to-toe with Rachel Weisz or, or just, uh, you know, trying to, to get his choices uh, pushed through, um, stuff like that. It's, it's quite entertaining. Just his interactions between Weisz and... Um, and even Stone is just hilarious. Yeah, and even like in the interactions with Vice, and you got to remember, you, then you realise it's like, holy shit, Nicholas first, Nicholas Holt first. Oh. One of his first film roles was in About a Boy, where Rachel Vice played like Hugh Grant's love interest in that film, and Hugh Grant played Nicholas Holt's father in that. So. Very strange reunion for them, what, 15-odd years later? Uh, this is intentionally planned so the film could have some kind of Freudian it's all swing been, to it's it. It's all been led for, for, her to, for him to just say, CUNT! on screen. He might have said cunt on screen before. I'm not. I counted. There's six. There's six drops of the sea bomb in the favorite, mm. including the amazingly aforementioned phrase "cunt struck," which is just that. That sounds. Blah. That sounds something very that you would hear a lot in in that time period. Cunt struck. We're earning that explicit rating on this episode, guys. This is th- we're, we're meant to be classy here. Um. <laughs> oh, what's 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 not classy about the word cunt? Um, I don't know. We we we're just trying to make the word classy. We are Australian, after all. We're Australian. Cunts like uh, it's an alternate g'day of sorts, but I wouldn't call every Australian a cunt. You're either gonna get a punch to the face, or you're gonna get a like a slap on the shoulder. Uh, a friendly slap on the shoulder or an aggressive this punch. This podcast is now going to be called is now a love letter to the sea. This word is going to be con- this is going to be con- how to conduct yourself in Australia. How to conduct yourself. Conduct yourself. God, uh, Sean's got a strange obsession with the word cunt. It's just going to send a, a letter okay. to Hollywood. This is all going to be cut out. Don't worry. Nah, this has to stay. Hollywood has to hear this. 
like you you hear people complaining about I want more fucks in my American movies. I, I don't want this uh, I want this PG thirteen film to have more than like one or two fucks. And uh, Sean would just be sending them a letter like you got to put the word cunt more <laughs> in your films. No, it's I'm like not. So there'll be a quota. You got to have. <laughs> you got to <laughs> use the word cunt once in your film. <laughs> That's what they should implement. That's that's how you'll get Australia. That's how to make Australian film thrive again. Yeah. Y- you need you need. <laughs> They're well above the cut quota. <laughs> but speaking of Australian films, um, one of the nominees here is Gibson John, who played Archie um, in Sweet Country, the tracker who's trying to track down Hamilton Morris's character, and he is just. I, I love his performance mm. in this film. I mean, and there is one. He does. I mean, he is kind of just like kind of a. Not a cartoon or a stereotype of an Aboriginal well, you'd person. Say that he's at probably playing an archetype of sorts. Yeah, because well, that was a that was a occupation of the time. Yeah, just and a I mean, tracker. he doesn't really have that many other lines apart from "Yes, boss." Apart from apart oh. from that, but there is a there is a moment in the film later where he's talking to the the younger character Philomac, and he's talking about how like oh the white fellas they do you think this is my country? No, the white fellas took me out here, and like th- this isn't my country. My country, I don't even know where that is now. Yeah. Like this is, and he has this really really strong monologue, and it's like holy shit, like this guy's really good. Like he was good in the movie, but that like cemented it mm. as like a really really good performance in a film full of great performances too. I, that that doesn't just sound like something that's good. For from a performance standpoint, but also from a character, because uh, that's that that would have been a very big thing that the um, the Australian Aboriginals would have been to deal with the uh, with um, the, the sort of the eye there. Yeah. Would identity have been in, in relations to their land because they that they would have been right it. around the time because the film set in the nineteen twenties. It would have been right around the time of the Stolen Generations yeah. as well. Yep, and. A performance um, that really surprised me as well here. Uh, sorry, you were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, unfortunately, I still haven't seen it, but that's like one of the one films that I wish I did watch. Sweet Country is great. Definitely see it. Um, a film that really surprised me, um, a, a performance in a film that really surprised me was uh, Jonah Hill in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Like, it's good to see Jonah Hill like this, like mm. getting out of his comfort zone. Like, He's incre- This is an incredibly underrated performance from him. He plays the leader of the Alcoholics Anonymous group, which Joaquin Phoenix's John Callahan goes to, mm. and he becomes like this 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 wise figure trying to help him recover. And he is just like the friendship that they had that these two had, and like that. Uh, there's again another monologue that Jonah Hill has towards this film mm. is really powerful, and he just and he has amazing Jesus hair in this film too. <laughs> like he's a great kind of. I can't remember what it said. I, I think, think Joaquin Phoenix has kind of Jesus hair too. Not in well, Joaquin Phoenix played Jesus in a really bad movie that came out in 2018 as well with Mary Magdalene. Oh. So. <laughs> and there was there was a there was a moment in this film because um Rooney Mara is in that playing Mary Magdalene. Rooney Mara is also in Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot. There's a <laughs> Mary Magdalene is just uh blank stares and whispering for two hours and it's just boring as hell. Yeah, Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Mary Magdalene. Do you, think, do you think both of them just came off Mary no. Magdalene and went to um, Van Sant? They're like, oh, thank God, you're going to save us or <laughs> okay, something good. <laughs> yeah, but then there's a moment where, because Rooney Mara is completely wasted in Don't Worry, but there, there's a scene where, like, when they first meet and they're blank staring and whispering at each other and I was getting PTSD because I thought I was watching <laughs> fucking Mary Magdalene again. Just watching Mary Magdalene, but they just reappropriate it to the modern age. <laughs> 
quite a bit of what's they're not wearing like rags they're wearing like jeans and, and shirts and stuff what's going on wheelchairs don't exist yet we <laughs> carry them around in a wooden in, in like that a horse-drawn carriage it's, they would have been able to get extracted enough like metal materials to, to make some mm. of that advanced we mentioned disobedience before with Rachel McAdams. Alessandro Nivola as well, another really underrated performance. Um, Alessandro Nivola had a nothing role in You Were Never Really Here. I would have loved to have seen him do something. Mm. But yeah, he in disobedience, like, a, again, like the film could also have followed him. And I understand why they didn't because it's a very female-centric story. And if you follow the man in that, that's probably not the best well, idea. But he is, he, is one of the mo- he is the most interesting character because he plays the... I believe he's um, Rachel Weiss's character's cousin and because her father was the rabbi and he's like his successor. So he's going to be taking over, he's going to be taking over the synagogue and become the new rabbi of the synagogue and like the new leader of their community. And now he, and, and Rachel McAdams is his wife. Mm. And now Rachel, Mc, Rachel Weiss's came in and their, their, their love affair that they had when they were younger is now rekindling. And now he is really struggling to cope with that now. And, it's a right. great, it's a great performance. Alessandro Nivola, really underrated that, performance. Would that be for that. disobedience? That's in disobedience, yeah. yes. Um, and another one, Jonathan Price in Man Who Killed Don Quixote, just oh, I mean, one of the best comedic performances of the year. Jonathan, Jonathan Price, uh, Gilliam, you can't go wrong. No, absolutely <laughs> not. And just playing this, he's great playing a sad old man. Yeah, well, this, this delusioned man, he's 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 great. He. he 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 really pulls off this uh this really. I mean, I don't buy him as a Spanish man at all, but you know what? I can go along with it. <laughs> oh well, he he's not really the Spanish man for long, but like Don Quixote, um, I think he's probably like the definitive uh, on-screen Don Quixote, besides maybe Don Quixote, the the Russian one, because he looks <laughs> he looks a lot more like Don Quixote than Jonathan Price, but I think his performance is great. Mm. Um, he, he, I mean, he does all that 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 strange chivalrous stuff like really well. Like he's just this man that's completely blind by fantasy, and even when he sort of comes to the re- back to reality, you can sort you can sort of see his his heart just being crushed. Yeah, he's by like the 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 the, the um he gets bitch slapped with reality, doesn't he? he? Gets bitch slapped with the re- reality, and the curtain just comes down and just crushed, really. Well, I think because Jonathan Bright Price was brought on quite late, because I believe Michael Palin was originally scheduled to be. I think I don't know they they were going well, through all it, sorts. it was going to it was going to be John Hurt, but yeah. then he got pancreatic cancer and then uh, died a few years later yeah. after that. And then I think Michael Palin was going to be doing it, but then I think he dropped out for some reason, and then they mm. got Jonathan Price on. Well, I think Jonathan uh, Jonathan Price, Price was excellent too. Excellent. Yeah, and I think now we're going to get to. We might as well get to it now. The winner, like all of these performances were good, but open up that letter. The winner is uh, it's it's Bale. No, it's Bale. <laughs> well, uh, Stephen Yun. Stephen Yun. Oh. Stephen Yun for burning the is the winner. We didn't, we didn't really talk much about. No, because we're going to talk about him now. Oh. Stephen Yun, as he's going to come up and collect his award, um, we're going to talk about him in burning. He is. Amazing in this film. I mean, I'm going to be saying that about a lot of the acting awards, but like, there's a lot of subtlety to his performance and just a very, very underlying sinister creepiness to his performance. His his performance is great because it's another, like, going back to Tilda Swin, a character that's sort of putting on a front but has sinister uh, sort of motives. Stephen Yun would be, at least how I see the film, he'd be that character, but it's like 
the lines are even more blurred. Like, he shows some signs of being, uh, I guess, somewhat psychotic or, um, uh, what's the other word? Uh, sociopathic. Sociopathic, yep. Uh, probably more so sociopathic. And and, uh, and it's really strange because his, his behavior is this really charming man, but he says some things that are highly disturbing. And yeah. um, our protagonist is sort of like, he's sort of just been trailing him for a good portion of the film. But what I love about the film and sort of the performance and the characters, that they never actually explicitly, how I would say, they never really explicitly show any evidence that proves that he's actually done something uh, terrible or he's done any of these terrible things, but he himself has hinted to him doing these things, although we've never mm. directly shown evidence. And in this, in the instant where we are, because I don't want to spoil the film because I think people should really watch it, it's sort of it's sort of debatable whether or not that evidence is actually true or not because the, the protagonist himself is sort of somewhat delusional in the sense that uh, um, he seems to be going onto this like this on he's given these crazy trails of, of um, or leads to follow up on but he ends up coming up dry and you sort of question whether or not like there was anything to those leads whether or not they were joke leads but he believes that there's there's something there mm. with those leads and he goes on believing that he'll find something because his character is kind of like everything that the lead Jong Su. He's everything that he kind of wants to be or wishes that he could be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like he can't. It, but like he he isn't because of like because burning heavily deals with themes of like class, but also yeah. like as as it gets more into the film, like you could definitely see like it's exploring kind of toxic masculinity as well, especially with uh, uh, Yun's character. Um, I I guess so. I I definitely see the class and probably. Sort of the, um, I guess like an i like an identity crisis of yep. of, of of like the Korean identity because we have two characters, the protagonist and his love interest, who are pretty much loners in a sense, and they seem to be dissociated from like the greater Korean community, and it's they they don't seem to you know <laughs> wish this. They're not intentionally trying to be individuals as such, but they just don't feel as like connected to everyone else as a whole, and they sort of in their own sense, being strange hermits. And is Stephen Yun's character, is he a Korean-American in his... Is his character Korean-American too? Or is he just like... Is he a proper... Because like, I'm going to say, like, Ben probably isn't a very Korean yeah. name. That's, um, um, I'm wondering if uh, it is like Stephen Yun, how he's a Korean-American. I'm Korean not sure American, if in the film if he's supposed to be Korean-American or he's just supposed to be like a well-travelled Korean yeah, okay. man. They're probably, probably multilingual. Of course, he's multilingual, but he might know more than just English. In terms of language, because yeah, the way he's painted is supposed to be this like highly cultured um, mm. uh, man. It sort of it really does uh, sort of cement this idea of him being this this strange uh, like predator within sheepskin, this Ted Bundy esque yep. serial killer, where he's like he seems good natured, very well educated. The last the the person that you least suspect to be a serial killer, but in actuality, it's just it's the best front <laughs> for a serial killer. The, you said you didn't want to spoil it. Oh shit! <laughs> well, well. <laughs> oh god! Ignore everything I just said. Uh, serial killer could mean anything. Uh, I did say that the film's supposed to be highly ambiguous. <laughs> but you're okay. But you're saying he plays the character as if well, he was. Oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna try and dig, help you dig yourself out of this hole you've dug. Well, this is the thing. I, I don't actually believe that. He is, but 
He plays it like he, he, he plays it like it is. Like it's directed, and he acts the character in a way where he he does come up strongly to be this type of character. And regardless of, of not him being a, a serial killer, he does show like um like signs of of having like sociopathic, psychotic like tendencies. Like I wouldn't directly call him uh, psychotic or sociopathic, but. But I wouldn't be surprised, like if 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 someone would characterize him as being those uh, of, of either those um, uh, antisocial sort of behavior types. But I, I'll definitely say that he shows signs of both, and it sort of adds to the greater ambiguity of whether or not he is that. Uh, so that's what I like. Okay, congratulations, Stephen. You and you are the winner of our best supporting actor at Mapper. Mm. And uh, we're going to give you uh, some some we're gonna high quality. You're going to get some rope. high quality rope. Some high quality rope. <laughs> okay, now we're going to get back to one of our awards. We are going to go to the Why Are You Here? Oh, now, yes. what is the Why Are You Here award, Eric? Um, well, I guess this is a more negative interpretation of our um, surprise uh, award. Um, where we're sort of talking about a film that got a lot of uh, attention, like positive attention or hype. No, we're not. The Why Are You Here Award. Oh, Jesus, wrong award. Listen, <laughs> lay off the fucking pipe, Eric. <laughs> My bad. Sorry, this is supposed to be a very, very worthy um, celebrity cameos in films. No, like, they're not. They're <laughs> are you sure? I think this is the, 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 the why. <laughs> the why are you here award? Because Eric is, you know, half baked at the moment because he doesn't even know what the fuck <laughs> we're talking about. The the why are you here award is goes to either the dumbest, strangest, or most random supporting role or cameo in a major motion picture. Now there is a clear winner for this, so we're going to announce it at the end. But here were the runners up for this one: uh, Naomi Watts in Vice. Now, you have not seen Vice, have seen you? Vice. So, Naomi Watts plays a fucking Megyn Kelly, like, Nancy Grace-esque, like, Fox News reporter that has, like, oh. two scenes and, like, reports on, like, random things, like, throughout the movie. And it's just like, why? I don't know. It's just like, why get face? Naomi Watts for this? <laughs> maybe maybe it was after the Book of Henry. She's just like, I'm burnt out. I, I need... Oh, okay. I've got... I mean, an Adam McKay movie? Oh, wait. I'm... Oh... Okay, yeah, sure, I'll do this. Mm. And but also in Vice, Alfred Molina plays a waiter, an uncredited, dialogueless role as a waiter. Jesus. What a waste of of the that's, great Alfred Molina. That's really bizarre, just to get his face in the film. Yeah, I know. Oh, fuck, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh well, these aren't in any order too. These are just the runners up because the first one wins by a fucking country mile. Oh, yeah. The winner wins by a country mile. Another runner up here, we've got. Uh, a uh, French-Canadian uh, indie darling, Xavier Dolan, in Bad Times at the El Royale, playing a British music producer that yells at uh, Cynthia Erivo and tells her that she's not going to have a future in show business <laughs> or whatever. And it was just bizarre hearing Xavier Dolan with a British accent. I mean, it's just the. It just seems absolutely comical in my mind. I wish I saw the film just so I he's, could see him do he's that. He's just slowly infiltrating into stateside films and English language <laughs> films because he did the same thing. He has a more substantial role in Boy Erased, and apparently he's going to be in this sequel to Stephen King's It, which we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it was just bizarre. Like, I almost fell out of my seat when I was like, that looks like Xavier Dolan, but that can't be Xavier Dolan because he wouldn't be in a movie like this. Oh, wait, it's him. What? <laughs> 
and he's probably just like need that funding for my next film. The final runner-up as well is, I guess, because it's Steven Soderbergh that directed this film. Matt Damon as like a security contractor in like two seconds in Unsane. Now, you have have you seen? I haven't Unsane? seen Unsane. So it's. So while she's in like the so while Claire Foy's character is in like the mental like institution or like yeah locked up in here like it cuts to this security contractor that's like fitting out a house with this or it might be a flashback to like this this mm. yeah the security contractor like putting alarms and like locks in her house and it's played by Matt Damon <laughs> and it was really strange like it was a nice unsurprised cameo like this is unlike just, all the other ones which were just like weird like this was a really nice cameo. Mm. But the winner... You can see it as uh, being an Easter egg to Soderbergh. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> imagine if it was his character... Imagine if it is his character from... Uh, Contagion. B- 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 yeah, what, from Contagion. <laughs> I was thinking of the Oceans films, but sure, Contagion. <laughs> uh, yeah, that movie's good. You get to see Gwyneth Paltrow die on screen horribly because of a nasty cold. It's great. <laughs> but the winner of the Why You Here Award. I mean, it could not go to anyone else except this man right here. This is here. actually one of my favorite Drum roll, please. Ah, oh, our Lord and Savior Alec Baldwin. In what film? In uh, Black Klansman. Holy fuck, I hated this so much. And, and this was right at the beginning of Black Klansman. Oh, I kind of love it, but it's <laughs> terrible. I gotta love it just because of how fucking stupid it is. I mean, how more... I mean, subtlety and Spike Lee never have gone hand in hand, yeah. but come on. <laughs> You've got this guy talking about the the struggles of the white man yeah. in in modern day American society, modern day being the 1970s. Yes. But how on the nose getting Alec Baldwin in there, a guy that's been very famous for impersonating Trump, mm. which I mean that's all Black Klansman is, just yeah. like and yeah, and just and just like like him like just sort of shooting the recording of him making this sort of like little propaganda thing mm. of, of sorts and also just having him like trip over his words yeah it's just it's the laziest fucking like i mean i hate republicans as well but it's just like oh it's just it's, silly like like the the lowest like like a an snl strip, it's attacking like a, the lowest hanging fruit yeah. is what it is it's just like it's just the yeah it's just the simplest dumbest uh, it's like it's weird because it's the kind of thing that if if you historically if you were to examine how because it, it's interesting, this film, like, um, you know, uh, Black Klansman actually uh, talk like, it sort of explores, uh, uh, what's what's it, uh, Birth of a Nation a bit, and just sort of how, like, ridiculous that film is, and how, like, mm. it's sort of just, like, spurred on this group of hate. It's sort of, like, the depiction of, of, of uh, African Americans in, um, in Birth of a Nation is just as, like, Cartoonish and yeah, dumb is just yeah. like Alec Baldwin and like as savage, like a dumb Republican, yeah, yeah. like dumb Republican. Sort of the sort of revo- like uh, divulging it's to that che- low it's of a cheap level. Laugh, so it's just that. It's, it's just it's just sort of playing to your audience. Just they're not. It's not anything constructive that you can build upon. It's just 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 showing plain and simple idiocy for the sake of of just you know. Oh, I'm superior to that group because like, I'm not a, a fool. Like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to hate this film. But luckily, Black Klansman, oh, yeah. which I didn't love, but which I think is I don't, decent. I don't I think like it's it. I think it's okay. all right. I think, I think it's, it's okay. Right. Um, it's probably one of the better films nominated for Best Picture, though, to be quite honest. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Because, like, three of them are really mediocre. I only saw... I saw, what, Bohemian Rhapsody and... <laughs> uh, I still have not. I haven't seen Vice, but you say it's terrible. Yeah, Vice I'm not going to watch it. Black, it's better than Black Panther, definitely. 
Um, oh, no, I don't know about that. Actually, <laughs> it's weird. I would rather watch Black Klansman than Black Panther. Uh, Black I'd rather watch Black Panther dull, again. Dull, I find. I'd rather um, watch Black Panther again. But yeah, there's a just the there's a lot of things that just, just classic Spike just going a bit too far with hitting the audience over the head with a sledgehammer with uh, Black Klansman uh, as such. Um, although I sort of like how he's he, how he's trying to make a homage film to uh, he plays around with a lot of black exploitation yeah, imagery, it's, it's doesn't he? Sort of he? like a like a like a strange. Well, it's weird because like the way that I I view it, which is which is like really nice to see. It's like it's like a black exploitation film, but it's sort of taken seriously. Yeah. So it's not like it's not like they just. That's you know, why Black Dynamite is so good. Yeah. Well, Black Dynamite uh, is is amazing in its own right, but it's like the anti-Black Dynamite, where it's not playing off these, you know, these black stereotypes. It it sort of just removes that, but it has like sort of the style of that kind of detective film, which is nice to see, um, in, like sort of shown into in a, in a film made in, like, made today. But there's just you know other things in Black Klansman that are a bit silly, I find. So congratulations, Alec Baldwin. Your cameo was the most. Well, Stu- the dumbest thing, dumbest cameo I've seen that we've seen in a film this year. So I, I'll far. have to, I have to make a confession to the audience. Apparently, according to my uh, my letterbox review, Alec Baldwin was my uh, most watched <laughs> actor. Well, Justin Theroux was mine. I had no idea how the hell that happened. I'm like, oh, what have I seen? Either. Like Mulholland. I've seen Mulholland Drive. I saw Mute. I saw American Psycho. Yeah. If they count him for his one second cameo in the Last Jedi, then maybe. But I don't know if they did. I, I, I don't. I don't know how I got Alec Baldwin, but I'm pretty happy with that. You watched the Boss Baby twenty times. I, I watched it. the Boss Baby, the sequel, and the Netflix series <laughs> way too many times. <laughs> He's only the voice in the film, though. He's only the voice in the film. Yeah. Alec Baldwin's not gonna do a Netflix Boss Baby series. That makes me really sad. <laughs> if he did, oh. Well, clearly like, you haven't be like been watching it. I must have been fucking watching. fake fan. Shh, don't tell the Colts. Best cinematography is next, and um, a- a- again, this is another where we don't have an envelope for that. We, uh, if Eric, if you have any other nominees you want to throw out, let me know. So we have Alexander Dynan for First Reformed, Giora Biat. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I probably should have looked it up. The cinematographer from Foxtrot, which I will get the mm. pronunciation of in just a moment. Lukas Zal. I put Kaz there for some reason. So Lukas Zal for Cold War. Benoit Deby for Climax. And Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. Hmm. This is a, this is a really nice selection. Yeah. I mean, um, unfortunately, I don't really have any other, th- other nominations. Just abruptly add to our final selection but um uh, if something comes to mind i'll probably just throw something in there randomly but um yeah these these uh these films are quite nice offering quite a bit of variety with like mm. aspect ratios and and also move camera movement and and um color scale and as such mm. so it's good to sort of see Something like First Reform in contrast to very minimalist uh, first Cold reformed, War. Yeah. It's very minimalist, and, but it's also like it's got in in comparison to something like Cold War. Funny enough, like cinematography of First Reform seems to remind me a bit of Ida with the use of negative space and quadrant yeah. um uh, composition. And Cold War is a lot more um it's like intimate uh, framing um trying to incorporate like 
two heads trying to take up as much space as possible or two bodies taking up as much, much space in the frame as possible. So it's interesting to contrast, contrast those styles and how they benefit the themes in, in those films. And then you've got uh, with the beautiful widescreen photography with of Alfonso Cuaron with Roma mm. as well and, and also using black and white, which I think is probably one of the best digitally shot films in black and white ever. I mean, that could oh. be said for Cold War as well. Like I, I like it better than Cold War. Um, I like the cinematography a lot more just because um, just I, I like sort of the use of just movement, how it sort of... Mm. Uh, captures movement in that film like just people traveling in one direction into the opposite like with the very with the tracking shots down this down loves his tracking shots so um yeah i really like even the slow tracking shots that are sort of showing this really close lens to sort of i guess like mexican life in in the 70s yeah but what i find really strange was the choice that they decided to put it on netflix when roma is full of these beautiful wide oh. landscapes and beautiful wide composition the and they put too. it on net yeah, and the, as well as the sound but then they put it on netflix i'm like if it was all close ups like i th- i think a film more like first reformed or cold war with like the more intimate like yeah. kind of you know 4 by 3 as well that would work better if that was like mm. sold to netflix or something but having it just doesn't. It, it's strange when you think about you that with Roma. It's a very Roma on a on a on a phone. On a f- Roma on a phone. <laughs> Didn't the Netflix CEO say something about that or whatever? Well, they shouldn't watch it on the. No, phone. I think uh, I don't know. I might be completely making that up, but uh, something that's very different to all of that is the last two nominees we had there. Um, yeah. A movie that I hated, but I just I had to put on here because like it's just so. Oh, incredibly shot is climax. You can't really deny the quality of the cinema. Absolutely not. It's it's amazing. Like, I mean. This is like a perfect sort of like um, I would say the Cold War also has good choreography, but this is like on a much more impressive level mm. where it's like choreography sort of being presented in like real time. Yeah, just like this is crazy. Just long shots of the of the camera moving, like cameras up just and down, going just everywhere, going strange angles, uh, getting like bird's eye view shots, um, coming back to sort of like a like a just like a lateral. Uh, view is just it's uh, it's mental and you also and as well as the the performers as well in these sequences especially the dance sequences because they're all single takes as well like they all do it like completely unedited and it is just like how did they how much first of all how much uh rehearsal went into this and how much like carefully intricate planning went in to get these shots because it was mind-boggling how they got them. Even the shots where you're having a character just walking through the place and they're fiddling around with lights and screens yeah. and wallpaper and all that stuff like that. It's 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 really it, impressive. There's moments during climax where you're just like, holy fuck! This the the, the camera hasn't like this shot hasn't uh, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't been an edit in like ten yeah. minutes. This is awesome. I mean, it's I mean what's happening on screen? What's happening on screen is just disgusting and abhorrent. But I can appreciate the filmmaking here. I mean, like even like this film even has some great like upside down shots as well. Like mm. it, it really sort of sort of conveys like um, disorientation and sort of this uncomfortable grotesqueness just through the camera work. Um, it's quite nice. And as, as as a friend of mine said, like he finds it really raw, especially when there's a, a particular scene where everyone's just going nuts in a in a dark dance hall with only a red light going around, and so the camera just weaving its yeah, way through it's all just these floating people. through it's just the floating, room. It's just floating through a bunch of people, just flailing out. It's it's pretty mad. It's yeah. 
And then finally here, I got a... How the hell do I pronounce this uh, cinematographer's name? But it's Foxtrot. The film is Foxtrot. The film is Foxtrot. Talk Another a little bit mention. about the cinematography just while I try and figure out how to I, pronounce it. I mean, we've name. talked about Foxtrot on previous episodes quite a bit, talking about how um, we, we love the variety in cinematography of Foxtrot. Yep. Um, and, and it's uh, interesting that we were just talking about Climax before. This, this, this film as well has some nice upside down cinematography not so much like static shot but more so like the camera movement where, where we where we have like um the camera sort of rotating to capture some characters walking upside down they get them uh, sort of standing upright in the reflection of a puddle um so on a technical level of the uh the cinematography is great some good bird bird's eye view shots that i've mentioned yep. before where it's just same with climax too yeah just like with climax but uh I think so. Even more so effective in Foxtrot with like the the father in the bathroom, and they they shoot in such a way where you can sort of see the walls yeah, like close in. Yeah, it's like he's it's just really like he's trapped. It seems like this big figure trapped in this tiny room. Um, and there's also that beautiful like crane shot, like oh, it, it's where it's the soldiers they walk yeah. out, and it's like then it's like starts on the puddle, and it's yeah, just, and it just sl- like glides up, and oh. yeah, then it captures them like just the so, so that's yeah, sort of working with the. Upside down in the reflection, and then right way up just to... Or maybe it was the opposite way around. I can't exactly yeah. remember, but it's, it was very impressive to see. A lot of the... I liked a lot of the cinematography in um, in Foxtrot. was was really nice. Mm. Even some of their, their um, sort of uh, one-point perspective, like wide shots as well with the camera walking down the road. Oh. I mean, it's, 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 it's great how they sort of uh, can encapsulate all these different elements like this strange water tower with the with the gun in it and it's this barren landscape like you you say that you think they're in hell i think they're in a, in a sort of purgatory either way it sort of uh it sort of evokes this uh this this sense of just sort of dread and foreboding also when they're at the the military post at night as well like mm. the the night the night shots oh, also yeah. look just incredible just with very little lighting very I'm guessing, little li- too. just yeah. i swear those shots just lighting from the, the one spot the on torches set. and like the spotlight like that they the had spotlights they had like in the in the frame not nothing offset like shining on them because it because you because really from what you can't see out of the the influence of the spotlights just pitch black darkness and that really that's really effective when there's a certain scene in particular where the tension's rather uh high in a well I wouldn't say it's like high, but it sort of it gives like a light sort of tension in the sense that something could go wrong when when everything seems to be going fine and then something terrible just happens. But we got to think of a winner. My vote for this one is Cold War. But where are you going to vote uh, for? I might go um, Foxtrot at Climax. Uh, this is hard we should, to choose. We should probably fix Fox pick Foxtrot because we both like that. You know what? You know what I'm actually going to do. What? I'm going to open this up to a poll on Twitter okay. and see see what people think. So I'm going to put a poll on, poll on Twitter as soon as this episode drops and people can vote in it or it might already be up now. Mm. And whichever one, we're, we're going to throw this out to the people, Eric. Well, this seems a good idea. I would like the people to have a choice in some of these awards. And hell, maybe they can give a suggestion on a, on a film with great cinematography, cinematography that we've probably both seen that we didn't even mention. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like, you know how much I like the wild pear tree. I might just randomly throw that Actually, up there. But I'm, I'm still, like, questioning whether or not, like, because uh, I think it's a beautifully shot film as well. But um, 
that's like three mm. hours and 20 minutes long. So it's like, uh, after sort of rewatch it, it sort of really sort of solidify whether or not it's like worth mentioning. Yeah, because I love all those films and their incredible cinematography and it's just hard to choose a winner yeah. out of all of those ones. But next we're going to move on to Best Australian Film. Now this is the most uh, important. We category. we we, lo- we love Australian film here on uh, another body movie podcast. We want to promote more Australian films on this show. Oh, I, 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 do I don't, anyway. like, I don't, I don't like to be like nationalistic, but I do have a sense of pride whenever I see an Australian film doing well. Yeah. So the ones that we've got here for best Australian film are Cargo, uh, Upgrade, Gurumal, Sweet Country. And I used to be normal, a boy band fangirl story, getting its second nomination here. Mm. I mean, Upgrade, we, we've discussed on the show before. Actually, I loved it. One thing that I might mention, which I think you've seen, Brother's Nest. Oh, no, I haven't seen Brother's Nest. You haven't seen Brother's no, I Nest. No, I missed it. Because that would probably be my pick. Oh, well, that's the Jacobson Brothers film, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I, no, I, I missed it. I really wanted I to check it out. I thought that was really good. I liked it a lot. And it's very, like, I sort of like, I'd like my Australian film to be very Australian, to sort of... Uh, which I'm not going to say that any of these films don't really show. I think the most un-Australian film here, like that, doesn't really present it like. Yeah, it's upgrade. upgrade. It's clearly upgrade. Upgrade is Australian film only by definition. It's only Australian film by definition, but uh, see, out of the two that I would have that I've seen that I would have picked, it would have been Upgrade. But I'd rather something like Brothers Nest that um. If someone were to watch that, that uh, didn't know much about Australia, can learn a fair bit just from the way that. Um, they'll, they'll just see these two Australian males sort of behave. So this this uh, it's a dark um, comedy, yes. Oh yeah, definitely. It is. It's a it's a dark comedy, but done in the in the, the sort of the. Oh, it's, it's it's strange to describe because it's sort of like it's it's sort sort of chopper esque with its sort of oh, like okay. like grittiness, like because the, there's quite a few Australian crime dramas, like even The Kingdom, where it's like. It's like Animal Kingdom, you like mean? Animal Kingdom. Sorry, where it's like really which Clayton gritty. Jacobson is also in. It's like really pretty grind crime drama in the sense where it's like super cold and unforgiving. Like in 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 the in the the Kingdom is quite just just strange just to to watch a, like a, a crime film that would just have people like whenever there was a shootout, it's like the, the people just like die. It's like the most anticlimactic shootout ever because you just it's, it's just, it just it appears to be presented in such a realistic sense. You're just like, well, this is probably how a, how a real shootout would happen. And just, uh, it's it's hard to describe, but it's like, it's sort of like weird, like attention to realism like that. And and you sort of see that in um in in, in Brother's Nest 2, but it's a bit more th- uh, like uh, theatric with its climax. But it's got that sort of, that dry Australian humor, that really dark gallows humor. That's what I love. It's like that real like especially the ending like oh the gallows oh, humor is insane it's it's hilarious i'm just annoyed i really missed this now because i also missed a screening that had a q a with the jacobsons as well oh god Leo. i wish that been great i'm i'm look I, I saw this i saw this on dvd i wish i watched it when it was uh playing wherever it was playing and i wish i got to see that q a because uh the two brothers were, were brilliant um hmm. Uh, the was it Jacobson's? Jacobson's, yeah. yeah, Shane and Clayton. You know who Shane Jacobson? Yeah, I know is, Shane surely. Jacobson. Yeah. He was it. He's, he's Kenny. He's Kenny. He's Kenny the yeah. toilet man. Oh, how can I forget Kenny? I mean, it's just it was shocking. What was kind of shock- curry is that, Mike Van Eaton? <laughs> it was shocking to see him play this like dead serious character that that had like like a uh, bits of like humor in sort of pointing out the absurdity of the situation that the two brothers are in. Well, nice. Just, I always, you know, you know how I'm. I always love to see a role done by someone. It's just going out of their comfort zone. It's sort of like um, 
like uh, Steve Carell and Foxcatcher, that kind of stuff. I just like was blown away because like Jesus Christ, I didn't know that they had this kind of dramatic chops. Yeah, not like Steve Carell in Vice, which is again he's terrible in that film. But getting to Australian films though, we we mentioned we mentioned Upgrade. We've talked about it. We love it. Mm. It's not it's the least Australian film here. It's Australian only by definition, but that yeah. doesn't make it any less of an awesome film. Oh yeah, Cargo. I think is in, is a really really underrated film. Uh, went to Netflix everywhere, which I think this is this is a zombie film for people who don't like zombie films. Like I mm. absolutely fell in love with this film. I think yeah, Martin Martin Freeman is great again. Not mm. Australian, but and oh, it doesn't I, matter. I, I do. He's, he's an English anyway. We get a lot of the English immigrants. <laughs> I do like how he's not actually putting on a bad Australian accent mm. because him being like an Englishman mm. in Australia just makes him like even more lost or like a man yeah. that is just so well, far like, these completely out of his element. Greater themes of colonialism later on. Yeah. In and environmentalism as mm. well, which there, and it does them in ways that aren't heavy. Like they're present, but they're not heavy handed. Yeah. I they're not, su- they're too... not subtle, but they're not heavy handed. Yeah, I think they're just, they find the right balance. Yeah, it finds the right balance for the kind of like film that it is. Um, yeah, I'm not. I wasn't too huge with Cargo, but I um I appreciate it for being a good uh, debut and also being a nice Australian film as well. Mm, one of the better zombie films of like the last decade too, I think. Oh, w- one of the more most unique zombie films, most definitely. I I, I can't really remember any recent well, zombie just, films. Just whenever I think you get, I get burnt out from zombie films. Me like, what, what more can you do with it? What more can you do? They ma- something like Cargo comes along. Yeah. I'm like, yep, you can still you can still do really cool stuff with this, and also. This is adapted from a short film that was mm. a finalist at Tropfest, and the short is emotionally damaging. Like the short film mm. is incredible. The film, luckily, the emotional core of the short carries over to here, and it is just as palpable and just as beautiful. That's why it's nominated as one of the best Australian films. And we've got two documentaries here. I used to be normal, a boy band fangirl story, which I talked about at length. That's nominated, and also the doc, the documentary about uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gurumal Yunapingu Gurumal. Which was just again, this film was just beautiful and just mm. it will make you cry. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know much about Gurumal, so it's probably a documentary I should watch. I mean, yeah, for people who don't know, Gurumal um, was uh, an Indigenous recording artist who he actually passed away a few days before this film's world premiere at the Melbourne Film Festival in 2017. But he was an incredibly inspiring man. He was. He was born blind. He and he played a guitar upside down and d- doesn't speak. He speaks barely any English, but he just plays the most beautiful music that you will ever hear. Mm. And oh, it just seems like like a a type of like folk musician in a similar vein to Bob Dylan, but more mystical. More like, singing in his native uh, indigenous yeah, in his language. Native indigenous language. Sort of like because Bob Dylan has a big following. I don't. I doubt many people know much about Gurumal. Oh, he was pretty big. In, he got pretty big. Was he pretty, pretty big over here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a number of Aria awards. I think he even got. I think he may have even been nominated for a Grammy at one point. But oh, and he, he he did make the. I think he was on roll, the cover well, of Rolling Stone magazine that, at one point. Oh too. well, it was, well, it's good that he got the attention that he did. Yeah, and it just shows how like his music just transcended language barriers and cultural barriers and just. It, like it's probably music on its fundamental level. How it exactly? Is yep. The human core. Yeah, it was a beautiful film. But the winner of this, the winner is Sweet Country. Like this film, 
it's the best Australian film of the Look, decade. I disagree I with you on that, and I haven't even seen it, like, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I really need to check out Samson and Delilah, which is Warwick Thornton's previous film, which mm. a, a lot of people say is another incredible Australian film, which I'm ashamed to say that I have not seen yet. But Sweet Country, it's just it's something that a lot of films do very heavy-handedly, but this film just does so so well. Just like showing the past, holding the the past up as a mirror to our current like as to contemporary society today mm. like quite not to the point but just showing how like uh, like how his like how, how just the, the dark the yeah like the history of past is yeah it still haunts us to yeah. this day yeah it's it's a remarkable film um I, i'm gonna get into hamilton morris a bit later in the show but he is outstanding in this film brian brown is really good as is Sam Neill in this film as well. Mm. Uh, as we I mentioned Gibson John earlier in the show too. Yeah. They are all fantastic. It's a it's an ama- it's an amazing Australian film. A sweet country, well deserved winner of the best Australian film award. Yep. I th- I think it's a well deserving winner. And it'd be nice if we sort of saw more sort of films that were sort of set in Australia's sort of bloody past. Well, we would because the Nightingale was going to be coming out, but because that was playing in Sundance, which again you can listen to our How Sundance episode. Did they play that at Sundance, not here first? It was so stupid. That's it was going to be. It was going to be coming out on January twenty fourth, but because it was playing at Sundance, it got pushed back. So yeah, that happened. Because I, or I really would have liked to see the Nightingale, like a like um, what's it? I was uh, I really liked uh, the was was the proposition done by Wilcott or Hillcoat Hillcoat yeah, Swinburne graduate John Hillcoat. Uh, the proposition's also really nice. Um, be a lot more like like fantastical and dramatic than uh, than a sweet country. But it's all, it's always nice to sort of see that that portrayal of um, of Australian history and sort of show how sort of grim it was to to live back then because you, you you always get to um you'd always get like your revisionist western i guess it's kind of good in the sense that we never really had that sort of western period of the glorification of the past because i don't think any australian w- looked w- upon w- it with with any y- romantic you can't it's, you can't really it's just too shit i mean especially when the majority of the population was descendants of of, of convicts <laughs> Precisely. It's practically a giant penal colony. And with that, part one of the Ab Mappers, the Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards, comes to a close. Thank you very much for listening in to part one. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you think the winners, the, the, the winners and the recipients of our awards were all very deserving. We thought so. We would not have given them the awards otherwise. But stick around for part two, dropping tomorrow on Sunday, where we'll be announcing winners for um, a plethora of different categories such as best actor best actress best original and adapted screenplay best directorial debut best director and so much more thanks very much for listening guys stick around for part two coming tomorrow we will see you then bye-bye